when we begin to connect the dots to prayer, uh, we realize that uh, our lives begin to look a lot different and play out a lot different. When we begin to see that when the church prays and we pray and we go to our God and ask him for help, we begin to connect dots that prayers really does make a difference. And our hope has been this over the last three weeks and even today, that somehow you're beginning to see not only how prayers connect us to God, but the power in prayer and how important it is and how praying connects us in a relationship with Jesus just through communication. It's, it's our chance to talk it out, to just communicate with God. Sometimes we go to people first to talk it out when our best probably resolution to anything that we deal with is to go to God with. And God, let's just talk this out. And so my hope is this, over the, the, the rest of this year, and maybe even the rest of your life, you begin to see the value in prayer. And you begin to see that there is a real God. He does hear our prayers, and he responds to them. The same is true um, for us, too. When we find ourselves in a situation, we not only pray for other people or the church prays, but we need to pray to God, too, and connect with him. And every once in a while, we recognize when we begin to tap into God's power that God allows us to do some things that we couldn't do on our own. Like, there's no way I could have made that decision. There's no way I I could have walked into that encounter and spoke so boldly. There's no way that that resolution could have ever come had I not talked to the Lord. And every once in a while, we just need a pep talk from from someone to say, you know what, God has designed us not to just sit on the sidelines and watch everyone else's life and to watch everyone else connect to God and watch him do unimaginable things, but he wants us. There's not one person that God has created that especially those that are Christ followers, that he says to them, you know, I just want you to sit on the bench the rest of your life and just watch the world from the bench. He wants us to be in the game. And I'm going to give you a little pep talk from a guy today that I think really captures what I'm trying to say, that we're not here to just watch. We're here, and we can do something really awesome with God's help. Hear this pep talk from this guy here. Maybe this will encourage you. I think we all need a pep talk. The world needs you to stop being boring. Yeah, you. Boring is easy. Everybody can be boring, but you're good at that. Life is not a game, people. Life isn't a cereal either. Well, it is a cereal. And if life is a game, aren't we all on the same team? I mean, really, right? I'm on your team. Be on my team. This is life, people. You got air coming through your nose. You got heartbeat. That means it's time to do something. A poem. Two roads diverged in the woods, and I took the road less traveled. It hurt, man! Really bad. Rocks, forms, and glass. My pants broke. Not cool, Robert Frost. But love that really were too bad. I won't be the one that leads to awesome. It's like that dude Journey said, don't stop believing unless you dream stupid. Then you should get a better dream. I think that's how it goes. Get a better dream and keep going. Keep going, keep going, and keep going. Will Michael Jordan have quit? Well, he did quit. So he retired. Yeah, that's He retired. But before that, in high school, what if he quit when he didn't make the team? He would have never made Space Jam. 
and I love Space Jam. What will be your Space Jam? What will you create will make the world awesome? Nothing if you keep sitting there. That's why I'm talking to you today. This is your time. This is my time. It's our time. We can make every day better for each other. If we're all on the same team, let's start acting like it. We got work to do. We can cry about it, or we can dance about it. We were made to be awesome. Let's get out there. I don't know everything. I'm just a kid, but I do know this: is everybody's doing to give the world a reason to dance. So get to it. That will make the world awesome. Play ball. It's a great, great story from this little guy, isn't it? it really is. And yeah, we were created to 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 do something awesome. I and mean, when we begin to realize that, it's not because of our own ability, but God has designed us for so much more. And it's if we were really honest, there are moments where we don't live to our redemptive potential. We just fall way short. And sometimes we find ourselves trying to live vicariously through someone else's life. And we'll watch them and say, wow, look what God is doing. But prayer connects us vertically to this incredible God that loves us so much, who wants to tap his power into us and through us and allow the power that lives in us to come out. And prayer is what does that. And so exhilarating opportunities for us are only a prayer away. But we got to get off the bench. We got to tap into God and allow that to happen. And, and you know what I'm talking about. And maybe there's been periods of times when you've connected to God through prayer in an unusual way, and you've asked him to empower you, and you've witnessed yourself because of God. You, you, you've been able to do something that's way beyond you. I don't know where you're at today, and we talked some about that last week, but maybe you're, you're, you're at this coasting point. You're thinking, I'm just coasting to the end. God doesn't design us to just coast to the end. He wants us until our last breath, our last heartbeat, to tap into his power and do something awesome. And so when we do that, the testimony of Jesus gets exalted and he gets propped up. We were created to do something awesome. And we're able to do that by praying. Grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 12, and I'll show you what I'm talking about. Turn to Acts chapter 12. If you need a Bible, our, our, our ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. Just raise your hand up. When the church is praying, when it's a praying church, all of a sudden these, these things that you have never witnessed before or only read about in the Bible or long to see happen begin to pop up on the scene. And so there's this sense where... When we begin to pray together and we do it together, something great happens with God. And, but these opportunities only happen when we pray. They're a prayer away. Turn to Acts chapter 12, and we're going to see today that you and I can find great peace even in the midst of dire circumstances when we pray. Stand with me, and we're going to read just Acts chapter 12, begin with verses 1 through 4. Would you stand with me? We'll read it out loud, and then we're going to look at the rest of this chapter to, through the rest of the message. But let's read, set up this, this story today of how prayer uh, allowed this individual to do something really, really unbelievable. Acts chapter 12, verses 1 to 4. Would you read it with me out loud, please? Ready, read. 
It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. You have a seat. When we see this, it's a dire situation for Peter. You can see, if you look back, James himself was arrested, and he was beheaded. Beheaded, you know, beheaded means he no longer has a head. And so his, he, his head, he was decapitated. And so now Peter is seized by Herod. And truth is, he wants to do the same thing with him. So this is a dire situation uh, uh, for Pete. It's not, we don't often get grabbed because of something that we've done for the Lord and pulled away and get thrown into a jail. But in this moment here, James has been beheaded. And the crowd, it says, they enjoyed it. Herod was a crowd pleaser. If you study anything in church history, you realize that, that rulers like Herod loved to please the crowd because they knew if they could woo the masses of people, they would always be on their side and it gave them more power. And so it says the Jews were pleased that James was put to death, the brother of John. Now think for a minute on behalf of Herod. He says, wow, if I can do this and they're excited and well, just, just grab another Christian. Let's grab him and let's take his head off. And so Herod had nothing but the intention of killing Peter and doing the very same thing, uh, knocking his head off too and watching the people join on his behalf even more so. In fact, it says in verse 4, look what again what it says in verse 4. After arresting Pete, it says he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. It means, in other words, he intended to. I love that phrase. It reminds me of Proverbs 19.21. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. Herod's plan was, I'm going to bring Peter out, and the next thing I'm going to do, I'm going to decapitate him, and then I'm going to have this whole country on my side. But many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. And often his purpose prevails when we engage him in prayer. So just back up, pull away from this. Peter's in prison. It says he's guarded by four squads of four armed soldiers. So 16 guys rotate through the night on different shifts, come in to watch him. And so his situation was very, very, very dire. In other words, he wasn't getting out of there. This was happening also because Peter was a righteous man. And not necessarily because he had sinned or he had done something wrong. He had disobeyed. Sometimes we find ourselves in situations and we ask God, why is this happening to me? I've been faithful. I've done this. I've been, you know, I'm sharing my faith. I'm obedient. And you find yourself like, I'm not getting the best end of this deal. And often if we're not careful, we can pull away and think, well, this isn't fair. See, we don't see the end of the story like God does. We only see, well, this is chapter 1 or this is chapter 20. God knows how the book ends. And sometimes we're in chapter 20 and chapter 32 has yet to be revealed. And if we're not careful, we can look at this and say, God, how come this is happening to me? I've done everything right up to this point. And God's saying, hold on. I got another plan. This is how the story is going to end. And you can often bail out on God here when he had this, this, and this, and that 
ready for you if you just held on. And if the church was praying in this case, something incredible is about to happen. Often our setbacks are setups for God to come through in a big way. And here's an example of that. Pretty hopeless condition. Seriously. The ruling on the field by Herod had been given. He's going to die. And he's going to die after the Passover. And the the whole country's going to celebrate. And I'm going to look good. In a few days, that would happen to Peter. So the ruling had been made on the field. Probably by losing his head. There is always hope, though. And, you know, I don't care how desperate your situation is. And most of you know this, and you've been there at some point. But sometimes we need to go back and remind ourselves. It doesn't matter how bleak and how dark and how depressed and how low and how unfair it seems. It's not over. Even though the ruling on the field looks like, man, I'm getting the short end of the stick here. When you have Jesus on your side and he is your advocate fighting for you, the end of the story hasn't been written yet. So hold on. God's plan is about to be unloaded on your life. Yet sometimes we refuse to believe the ruling on the field. And when you do that, you do that because you know this is what man says. This is what your boss said. This is what the doctor said. This is what the marriage counselor said. This is is what the banker said. This is what the coach said. This is what your, your employer said. And if we're not careful, we can begin to believe what the man on the field says. And if we're, we're not careful, we, if we must recognize that God can change the plans of man. Let, let me explain to this. Some of you are football fans. In fact, a lot of you are football fans. If you ever watch a football game and there's a, a ruling on the field, maybe they're not sure whether the guy caught a touchdown pass. Let's just go there. They're not sure that he got both feet in before he went out of bounds. And so the referee, the man on the field, makes a ruling. And he says, no touchdown. His, he didn't get both feet in. Now, if you're a fan of this team, and you, you're hoping that he did score a touchdown, and your mind's like, oh, bummer. But the good news is this. The ruling on the field has been made. But what do they often say? Let's go to the booth upstairs and review the call. Now, how many times has your team taken that decision? The referee goes over and he looks in this monitor and, and they talk to the, the man in the booth upstairs. And, and finally, the referee comes back. He walks on the field. He turns on his microphone and he says this. The ruling on the field is, is, has been overturned. And if you're a fan and he says, we rule touchdown. Now, if you're a fan of this team, you're like, yeah, it's exciting. And the reason it was changed, even though the referee on the field initially called no touchdown, but when it went to the booth, it got changed because the ultimate call was made by the person in the booth. So play that out in your life. This might be the ruling on the field that's being made in your life right now, in your marriage, in your finances in your schooling, in, in whatever someone has told you, saying you don't have what it takes. We're going to limit you in this area. We're gonna, you're, you, you won't see reconciliation in this marriage. You won't, you won't. That's been the ruling on the field. But when we take it to our God in the booth through prayer, listen, it could change everything because he has the ultimate call on our lives. So how does that happen? 
It happens by us taking it to prayer to God. Why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we, if we're not certain of the call in the field, why wouldn't we say, hey, hold it. Throw out the flag. I want to go and I want to ask our God in the booth. That's our chance to throw out the flag, red flag as a coach, and ask God to review the call and let him have final. Yet some of us, we don't even go to the God in the booth when God's saying, hey, you don't even run out of flags with me. Just keep asking. You're not limited to two in case it wasn't overturned. And prayer is our way of asking God in the booth to have the final call. And often he can overrule our condition. So Peter has a death warrant on his life. It's a matter of procedure before he's killed, before he dies. So what should one do when it appears that there's no way out? You should grab your red flag, throw it out as an act of prayer, and say, God, will you rule on my behalf? In Pete's case, it seemed pretty bleak. But something was happening during this time in his life. Look at verse 5. Take a look at verse 5. Peter's in prison, and I love how Dr. Luke writes the book of Acts. He says this in verse 5. Meanwhile, Peter was in... Herod had intended, verse 4 says, to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. Then in verse 5 it says this. So Peter was kept in what? But the church was earnestly what? To God for him. It's like, oh man, I love. There's sometimes when you read a narrative, it's like the conjunction but really makes a difference. This is a big but. Not B-U-T-T, but B-U-T. This is a huge conjunction in this story. Peter's in prison, but the church was praying. The church was taking the ruling on the field and sending it to their God in the booth and saying, do something for him. I can guarantee you this. When it goes to God and he acts in our favor, there will be a moment when the referee walks back on the field and says, the ruling on the field has been overturned. How many want some overturns in their lives? Anybody here? It's like, oh, man, I could use a good overturn in my life. And that's what's about to happen because the church was praying. Prayer penetrates darkness. I've tried my hardest, and, and, and your leaders have too, over the last 17 years to make grace a praying church. I know and you know the firsthand power that happens when people pray. We have such an incredible advantage as Christians. Now listen, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have no one to go to other than Satan. Let me tell you. And you know what his answer is? It's, it's to kill, steal, and destroy. <laughs> when you pray to God, he comes to bring you life. And so as Christian, as Christ followers, we can pray to our God in the booth, and he is on our side. And there are times when he can overrule the call that was made on the field. And when that happens, we can give him glory. I love when those things happen. Yet last week, I, I was talking to Hannah after the service. We had Get to Know Grace after a third service. We're meeting some people who are wanting to come in for membership. And so I'm back in the room, and, and, uh, and, and Hannah walks up. And I was telling some stories about Miraculous Prayer, and you heard about the parking place last week in Fort Myers Beach. And she said, Dad, you remember the time? She said, Daddy-Daughter Dance. She said, last year, and I had forgotten about it. She said, remember, we left, and, and we, we were going out afterwards. We were going to go out and get some, some hot ch- uh, chais and some, some lattes at Dunkin' Donuts. So we left here, and we're pulling in and went into a parking place. 
And I turned off, I noticed my Jeep wasn't running well, so I shut it off, and someone tried to start it again, and it wouldn't start. Battery was dead. It was like 10 degrees below zero. And so, like, we had just left here at the church. We wanted to go get some donuts. By the way, we went into Dunkin' Donuts, and they didn't have any donuts. So we're like, have you ever been to Dunkin' Donuts? And they don't have donuts. It's like, then shut the doors. I mean, it's just... And so we said, we're going to go, we'll go over to Martin's and see if we can get a pastry there or a muffin there. So we hop back in the car and go to the Jeep and start it, and it wouldn't start. It's like, oh boy, who's going to come help us now? And I didn't have any jumper cables in my Jeep because I had given them to Josh that week for his trooper. And so we're like, who are we going to call? I mean, but we were in a spot over at Dunkin' Donuts, and if you turn into Dunkin' Donuts off of 33... The first spot in, we parked, and then there was a spot here, but there was a car right beside us. Dad, you remember that? I said, oh, I forgot about that. And so, so the car was beside us, and we realized my battery was on passenger front side. And so there was no way that we were ever going to get a jump from anybody, period, even if we called someone, because we were boxed in. And so we said, let's just pray. Let's just pray that this guy leaves so that I had made a call for someone to come so they can get in. And so we bowed our heads in the Jeep, and we're praying, you know, just like you would pray, dear God, I pray that this guy leaves because there's no way we could get a jump. It's cold outside, and, and it's 10 degrees below zero. And God, I know, you know, it's, it, this seems like a minute thing in, in the grand scheme of things, but we need to have someone come beside us. Dennis Dandino was coming, and, and he needs to get beside us in order to jump this vehicle. So we're seated there, and so we pray in Jesus' name, amen. And I am not exaggerating. You could go to my, my daughter because I'm known to embellish just a little bit, but I'm, I'm, not, I'm not embellishing here. And she says, Dad, you remember when we prayed? As soon as we got finished praying, Jesus' name, amen, the, there was like four couples in there. A guy got right up, as soon as he said, Jesus' name, amen, like was in a rush, walked out the door, came out, jumped in his car, and drove away. And Hannah said, can you see what God just did? It was awesome. Listen, our prayers allow us to go to our God in the booth, and he can overrule this car that's on the field and make a change. And immediately, Dennis pulled in and jumped us in, and we went over to Martin's, and they were closed, and so we didn't get donuts that night. <laughs> Prayer connects us to our, the God in the booth that he can overrule whatever situation that you're facing. That's why we have a prayer encounter. I love when we pray as a, a, a church. On Wednesday nights here. And I, I, you'll hear this until the last day I breathe my last breath. Please come out on Wednesday night and pray in a corporate way with the church. It is a special place from 645 to 745 upstairs in that room. That's why I love when I see fight club prayers being answered. That's why I love when I see remarkable ladies praying together. I love when people get together and pray. And that's why we pray a lot during our services. We pray with our hands laid over blitzes of things that we're sending out. We, we pray at baby dedications. We pray when we send out groups to go on missions trips. That's why I love this verse. Peter was in prison, but the church was earnestly praying. The calling on the field said, you're going to die. But it's about to be overturned by our God in the booth. Look what happens next. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 says this. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He, he struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrist. Now, there's a couple of things that really, really amaze me in this account. He was sound asleep. 
on the night before he was going to get executed. Okay, you don't find that very exciting. Think about it. The next day you're waking up, your head is about to be lopped off. How sound asleep would you be that night? You would be, if you didn't know, if you didn't have a God, most people would just be pacing that cell, (laughs) thinking about, oh, man, in the morning, anxiousness and worry and anxiety just dripping off of them. And the text says he was sound asleep in the cell, chained in two places, in between two guards, and he was absolutely content in the state that he was in. How, you got to ask. Because the church was praying. And how often do we pray? What do we pray? We often pray things like, uh, God, I pray you give that person peace in the midst of this difficult time. God, I pray that you would surround them with your love. God, I pray you would surround them with their presence. God, I pray that you would walk into that room. And even though it's dark and desolate and the calling on the field says death, Lord, I pray that you would give them peace. How many times have you watched individuals who call themselves Christ followers in the midst of the most dire, horrible things had this unusual peace? This is what we're seeing here. Peter's head's about to get lopped off, and he's getting a good night's rest before he dies. I don't know about you. If you don't know Christ, there's no way that's possible. And yet the Scripture says he was asleep. In other words, he had no reason to fear because the church was praying for peace over his life. I love this word, and I like looking at the word prayer. The word prayer to pray in the Aramaic means to set a trap. Now think about that for a second. When you pray, you set a trap. In other words, when your mother's praying for you, your father's praying for his kids, and maybe they, they, they rebelled or moved away, and they're running away from God, your prayer set a trap in their lives. It sometimes sets a trap says, you're not going any farther. That's it. And the visual is, means to set a trap. So when you pray, you can trip up. You can stop. And you can, your enemy, you can set a trap. Let me, let, let me try to explain that best. Is Ross in here somewhere? Ross lies. Hey, Robbie Gingrich. I'm, I need you a second, buddy. Can you come here a second? I'm going to demonstrate this a second. Hey, come here, Ross. If you ever played a game of basketball, it's, it's, there's times in the game where you, you set some traps. In fact, I watch Robbie play a lot, and he, this is probably one of his greatest strengths. And um, Ross, you got the ball. So sometimes in a basketball game, you're playing defense. Ross, here's the out-of-bounds line right here, okay? This is the sideline. Here's the baseline. So I want you to stand somewhere down in here, Ross. And during a game, if you're playing a man-to-man defense, Robbie, you're just playing man-to-man all by yourself. You're playing. He's trying to stop him. Robbie could probably stop him sometimes, but maybe not all the time. But so he's playing regular defense. And sometimes a coach has a signal during the game, and he says this. All right, when the guy's in the corner, when he's got the ball, go and trap. So if we walk in, both of us, where's Ross going to go? He's not going to go. He thought he's going to go somewhere, but he's not going to go anywhere. The picture is this. Thanks, guys. The picture is this. When you pray, your prayers set a trap on your enemy. Your prayers set a trap so that your son or daughter can't go any farther until they turn to God. Your prayers set a trap on whatever thing needs to be stopped. It's a great visual. So picture that next time you pray. Just picture your kid trying to go somewhere who's run away from God. And, and, and these angels coming in and setting a trap. Just picture this enemy. In this case, Herod is wanted to lop Peter's head off. And the church was setting a trap. And the angels of the Lord were coming and said, uh-uh, that's not going to happen. The ruling on the field might be this. 
but our God's about to overturn it. What a beautiful picture that you can have when you pray. He paints a picture, this author does here, of an impossible situation. He paints a picture, though, of a man who's sleeping between two guards, chained down in two spots, guards at the door named Bubba and Bruiser, who says, you're not getting out of here. It seems impossible, but I want to say this. The ruling in the prison cell might have been made by Herod, but our God's about to overturn it. And that's what he wants to do for you. Why? Because verse 5 says, the church was earnestly praying. You could be one defining prayer away from a totally different life. That's why Mark eleven twenty four. 24, just listen to some of these verses. says, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. James five sixteen says it this way. Just listen. The prayers of a righteous man is powerful and effective. 1 John 3.21 says this, Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. 1 John 5.15 says this, And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked for. 2 Chronicles 7.14 says it this way, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. But there's a big if to the majority of those answers. If we humble ourselves, if we don't condemn ourselves, if we turn from our sin, if we obey him, if we live a righteous life, if, if, if. God wants us to pray to him with clean hands and clean hearts. The way we live our lives directly influences our prayers, the traps that we can set for other people's lives. So think about that. The greatest gift that you can give your family, the greatest gift that you can give your husband, the greatest gift you can give your wife, the greatest gift that you can give the person that you're praying for is to live an obedient, righteous life because it says in James, 1, or James 5, 16 and in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if we humble ourselves and turn from our sin, that our prayers gain more power. Think about that for a second. I've thought through this many, many years of my life. And even to the point where I've, I've realized this, that if I'm not living an obedient, righteous life and someone asked me to pray for them, my prayers would be limited because of the disobedience in my life. It's the worst gift that you could give anyone. The greatest gift you could give anyone is living a righteous life and living in such a humble way that you're seeking God that your prayers make a profound impact on their situation. So not only does it affect you, but it impacts other people in your prayers. So the church is praying. Obviously, it must have been some people who were just begging for, to God. And in verse 7, look at verse 7. Again, it says this. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off of Pete. Suddenly, out of nowhere. Have you ever had one of those moments like you've been praying or someone's been praying? It's like, man, God, where are you at? It's like, and out of nowhere, it's like, I wasn't expecting that. And this is what's about to take place here. Plus, it says this. You want to know how sound that Pete was sleeping? It says the angel literally, if you look in the original, in the English we see here in the NIV, it says struck him. This word literally means to kick him. He was so 
sound asleep that when the angel came in the room, it says a bright light shone in the room. It's like having a spotlight, and he was just, he was out. Like, you know, you know, in 10 hours, he was going to have his head lopped off, but he knew God was with him. And, he's just, and it says the angel literally had to strike him. Get up! Almost as if, I can't believe you're sleeping. But the church was praying for peace over his life. And he's about to see something happen suddenly out of nowhere. I, I love this story that a friend of mine told me. He, he was a truck driver, and he was driving through the, the mountains of West Virginia. And um, he had a, an old vehicle that still had a carburetor on it. And the, the linkage, he was driving up this, 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 this pass in West Virginia. And he went to go up this pass, and he went to give it gas. And he realized that he wasn't getting gas. There was something wrong. It was accelerator cable. He wasn't sure. He wasn't sure what. So he pulls off the side of the road. He said he's out in the middle of nowhere, completely out in the middle of nowhere. Just, just, there are no homes. He's in the middle of West Virginia. He, all he had was a pair of pliers. And, and, and so he pops the hood open on his vehicle, on his truck, and he looks in there, and he realizes that the linkage that was on the carburetor had broken. What that means is this. He didn't get gas. When he pressed the gas, he wasn't getting the gas. And he realized, I'm in the middle of nowhere. And he didn't have anything but a pair of pliers. So he said, he said, I just did this. He said, I got down the side of the road right beside my truck. And I said, God, you got to do something here because I don't have linkages. I don't have wire. I don't have anything. I don't have any way to call anybody. God, can you help me? Can you come through? And so he said, well, I just did what you should do. He said, I start walking on the road and I start looking. He said, I took 10 steps and I looked down this ravine. He said, I was on a mountaintop and I looked down the side of this hill and he said, there was a slinky. He said, and I reached down, out in the middle of nowhere. There was a slinky on the side of the road. I grabbed this slinky, took the wire from the slinky, cut it off, and I made a linkage for my carburetor, and I drove home. Now, imagine all that it took for that slinky to appear in the middle of West Virginia on the side of a mountaintop where there was nobody. Our prayers change the ruling on the field because our God can overturn any situation that we're in. Suddenly, out of nowhere, Peter is dead asleep. Next thing he knows, there's angels in the room slapping him, trying to wake him up. We are left speechless, but we shouldn't be when that happens. Look what happens next. Look at verse 8. Look what happens next. Verse 8 says this. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And the angel took him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing, what was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself. And when they went through it, when they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter, in verse 11, said to him, came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that, he, that the Lord sent his angel to rescue me from the Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. One thing gets overlooked in this account. It says that Peter followed he didn't ask questions. Even though he was in a subconscious state, his default system had always been, if God says to do it, I'm following. And once again, he follows. It had become such a regular part of his life to follow that he follows again. Here's the problem. We live in a culture that overvalues 15 minutes of fame and undervalues lifelong faithfulness and obedience. And Pete is an example. When the angel said follow, he just followed <laughs> Even though he wasn't even sure what was going on. If God said to do it, I'm doing it. And because he did, he's about to be rescued. Let me also say it this way. Some of us never experience these kind of breakthroughs because we live our lives in fear. 
The moment, though, you step out of your own personal fear and refuse to get the support of some fearful friends to build your case, you walk into a whole new world of faith, freedom, and exhilarating opportunities that God had intended you from the foundation of the world. See, here's what we do. Oh, God wants us to go in this direction. And it's like we are one prayer. And so we get this voice from God that says, follow. Yet, oh, I'm not sure. It's going to be too difficult. I've never been there before. And so we go grab a friend of ours and say, hey, you're probably not going there either, are you? No, I'm not going there either because, you know, they want us to do this. And they want us to do that. And so you pull away with this fearful friend. Listen, quit searching for your fearful friends and just step through and watch God do something awesome. And Peter just follows here. He got there because of a bold step. Look what happens next. In in, in verse 11, it says this. Verse 11, it says this. And Peter came to himself. Now I know an angel has done this. Verse 12 says this. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, called Mark, uh, also called Mark, where the people had gathered and were what? What's it say in verse 12? Praying. He wants to go back to the spot where it all took place. Verse 13 says this. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came and answered the door. He knocks at the outer entrance. So there's, a, there's a, a distance between that and the house. Verse 14 says, when she recognized Peter's voice, like, must have been distinct. She heard him knocking. Wow, that sounds like Peter. Look what she did. She was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. Meanwhile, Pete's at the door knocking. Let me in. I just escaped the jail. She runs back to the church that's praying. Meanwhile, it's like, let me in. She leaves him hanging. Look at verse 15. She goes back and tells the church that's praying. Look what they tell her. You're out of your mind. Pete's not at the door. And they go back to praying. I've always been intrigued by this. My first response has always been, she's trying to tell him, Pete's at the door. The prayer's been answered. And their response is, girl, get out of here. Get, you're, you're nuts. Get out of here. My, my, my response has always been, well, doesn't that seem like a lack of faith? And then even this week, it struck me even differently. God still wants to amaze us from time to time with the unimaginable. It's as if this group wasn't expecting for God to answer that way. Do we sometimes? Aren't we surprised? We know God's going to answer, but in our mind, it's like, well... He's going to have us standing at the gate, and, and we're going to go to the emperor, and we're going to talk in his defense, and this is how it's going to happen, and that's how it's going to happen, and you got your day all planned out. And then God says, no, I want to surprise you and do something that was totally off of your charts. Isn't that why we read that God can do it more than we ask or imagine? I believe this is one of those moments that God just wants to say, hey, listen, I just want to surprise you by how, how I can operate and how I can come through. So Peter comes to the door of the place where the people are praying. And they didn't expect it to happen that way. Look what happens next in verse 16. But Peter kept on knocking. (laughs) And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. And Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, he said. And then he left for another place. Tells him, motion with his hand, be quiet because, hey, this is pretty, I mean, I just escaped from jail. Verse 18, in the morning there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had taken place because when they went to bed that night, two guards were laying beside him. They were sound asleep. When they woke up, Pete's gone. 
And God had suddenly intervened, and he had changed the ruling on the field. He had overturned the decision. That's what I want to happen this year at Grace Community Church. I want, like, no small commotions. I want commotions happening all the time in your life. I want people to see what our God can do where obstructions are blocked and breakthroughs come through and the unimaginable occurs as a regular occurrence. I love it when family members see someone's life change. And the reason it happens and can happen is is when you and I still believe that God, that we love and serve, Jesus himself is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that he didn't stop doing these kind of things in the book of Acts today. He wants to do them today. And when we begin to believe, when we pray, God can overturn the ruling on the field. I still believe that Jesus is the same. I love what happens in this account. Look at verse 19. Not only does, does, does Peter get released in verse 19, it says, After Herod had made a thorough search for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. So he kills them. It's like, well, I'll, fi- I'll, I'll finish them off. And then it says this in verse 21. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robe, sat on his throne and delivered a public dress to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. Now that is a trap, isn't it? Seriously. He said, I am God. (laughs) Well, this let me show you what we can do to, to the enemies of God. It says that he sat down in his royal robe. In other words, Here I am. God wiped him out. How did it happen? Because the church was earnestly praying for him. You will never experience this until you join in on the prayer. You will never experience this unless you believe that God can do this. Your prayers are needed to change the ruling on the field. Exhilarating opportunities are only a moment away when the church prays. We often close our prayers by saying this, and we should. In Jesus' name, what? What's the last word we use? Do you know what amen means as we close out this series? Amen means so be it. Here's what that means. You pray your prayer to God. Lord, I want you to change the ruling on the field for this marriage. I want you to change the ruling on the field and overturn this financial crunch. I want you to overturn this sickness. I want you to overturn this. I want you to overturn that. I want you to do this. Please, God, do this. And as you pray, instead of saying amen, because in the power of Jesus Christ, you can say, so be it. Lord, give us that voice this week, this year. Let us walk in confidence knowing that you can turn anything around, God. I pray, Jesus, that we would begin to join with other believers in Christ and to collectively together, the church will pray for those that they love, that are far from God, that need encouragement, that need to advance on so that we can set a trap with our prayers and so that you can overturn the ruling on the field. In Jesus' name, so be it.